Bible reading today is 2 Corinthians 2, verses 12 through 17. Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, but to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. God, I thank you for this opportunity that I get to come and share these words that you have shared with me, that I get to be with your people today and to dig into these, these words. I pray that people's hearts and minds would be changed by what they hear and that you would speak through me. I ask this all in your name. Amen. Have you ever been captivated by something? Like been somewhere and just totally been moved by what you've seen? Or maybe you've had a meal that you just will never forget, whether by where it was or what you ate. I'm kind of curious if anybody would be willing, like, honest question, would you just share what one of those moments was for you? Seeing Yosemite for the first time, that's a good one. Linda? Where? Bouchard Gardens. And where? Oh, in Canada. Okay, I'm putting that on my bucket list. Mount Rushmore. Yeah, that's a, that's a crazy one. <laughs> Mount Rushmore through the fog. Yeah, Mount Rushmore and Yosemite. I've, I've been to those places, and those are really interesting, especially Yosemite, kind of after you come through that tunnel, and it opens up, and it's just El Capitan and Half Dome, like right before you. And Mount Rushmore, because you can't really see it from the parking lot, but like as soon as you come through the gate and you walk up, boom, there it is. These giant... Faces of presidents looking right back at you. Some of you will not be surprised to know that I love food. I have shared this before. And there's something that captivates me in food that's probably at the top of my list. I enjoy it every day. It's part of a daily ritual of mine, if you will. I have so many ways to make this food and to process it more than any other kind of food in my house. I've bought them because I want to figure out what's the best way I can make this thing and make it taste good and to enjoy it. And all of these are for me because Courtney does not enjoy this food item. I like talking about it with other people, how to make it, how to enjoy it. I like sharing it with other people. Anybody have a guess what this is? I heard eggs. That's not a bad guess, but it is 
coffee. Got my Caroline sticker right there. Oh, I love coffee. That's almost a bit of an understatement. I have a regular drip coffee maker, like what probably most of you have in your house. I have a French press. I have one of those little pour-over things that looks like the cup that you put on your cup that you make your coffee in. I have this thing called an AeroPress, which is like kind of a manual espresso maker where I put coffee in and I push it down and the coffee just drips out into the cup. I have a cof- an electric coffee grinder that I can grind up my beans with. I have a manual coffee grinder, the classic hand crank style. I have a Nespresso machine. Courtney doesn't like coffee. All of this stuff is for me. At some point in my life, I had my very first cup of coffee. And I'm pretty sure it was more like a mocha drink where it was sweet with the chocolate, but that coffee taste was in there. And my dad always took his coffee black. So I figured that was the way it should be done, and that's how I drink it to this day. But I began to discover even more about coffee because I was interested in it. I was captivated by it and all the ways that you could make it, all the different ways that it could taste. I went to a coffee tasting at a local coffee shop when I lived in Sacramento, and they had the different types of coffee that were roasted differently. They brewed them in little cups, and you went by and you took sips to figure out how each one tasted differently, depending on how they prepared the beans or how they prepared the coffee. And at most of my jobs, I actually would have my own way of making coffee in my desk. Usually a little espresso, the, the AeroPress thing, or maybe a French press. And at one point when I had my own office, I don't do this here because we have a fine coffee maker here in this office, but I brought my own drip coffee maker into my office and I made my own coffee there. And then people from around the office would come and be like, can I get some of your coffee? Because the coffee in there is not so good. And then I even had the opportunity to work for a coffee bar. Fremont, the church I came from, they had a coffee bar that they used to serve either you know, people on Sunday or they had it open during the week. I got to make espresso for people. I got to go to a class to learn how to make espresso for people how to do it right, how to brew it, how to get the beans in there, how to swipe it, how to press it down. I love coffee. I am captivated by coffee, and this comes out because I'm interested in it. I want to figure out how to make it better, how the different ways to make it. I want to share about that with other people. You asked me about coffee. Nobody asked me about coffee today. You've probably gotten more information than you banked on about coffee this morning. But this is what will happen. We'll start talking about it, sharing about it. Hey, can I make you some? Come on over. Some might say that coffee drives me in one way or another. I mean, I drink it every morning, get some energy. It does kind of jolt me up in the morning and gets me out of bed and gets me moving. This idea of being captivated by coffee for me or whatever that moment is for you that you were captivated by something, that moment drives you. You want to go back to Yosemite. You want to go back to Mount Rushmore. 
You want to go back to Bouchard Gardens in Canada because that moment of being there felt so good and you, were, you, you want to get back to that. In the word captivated is this word captive, being taken, right? Like if you're a captive of somebody, you are taken by them. And those moments were almost, you might say we're taken by them too because we're so driven by it. And that's the idea I would kind of like to explore today from the reading is this idea that as a church alive, what we're talking about in this series in 2 Corinthians is that a church alive is captive to Christ. That we have been so moved by Christ in our life that we have no other option but to talk about him wherever we go, to live our life driven by him, and to talk about him truthfully. The main point today would basically be this. As captives to Christ, we follow Christ. We identify with Christ and we speak of Christ with sincerity. So in the verse today, Paul opens by describing some travel plans. I think it feels weird that we would read this. We're like, Paul, why are you talking about your travel plans? Can we just get to the the gospel, to the good parts? He says, When I left Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went to Macedonia. Doesn't seem like Paul's very certain of what's going on. Have you ever followed a GPS and you're not very trusting of where that GPS is taking you? Our GPS has this weird idea to like, route us through neighborhoods sometimes so like it's going to shave off a minute if you go back through this neighborhood sometimes we're going down the freeway and it's like get off on this exit you're going to go around because there's an accident and whenever we're driving we're like do we trust it this seems weird i'm not sure if i want to trust where it's going and we second guess it all the time Paul's travel plans, though, are interesting because then he immediately connects them to this idea of being led by Christ. He says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For Paul, it's not the disruptions, it's not the travel plans, it's not the distrusting the GPS that's important. Because for him, wherever he goes, wherever God is leading him, is an opportunity to share about Jesus. And that he feels that he is being led like a captive is being led by Christ. He's captive to Christ. He's following him. I think what Paul has in mind here is this idea, he mentions this triumphal procession. And in ancient Rome, when a Roman general would conquer a people, he would lead a procession into into Rome. I have a picture of something that kind of demonstrates this. This is from the Arch of Titus. If you go to Rome, you can still see this there. It commemorates the victory of Titus over conquering the city of Jerusalem. And if you look closely, you will see that they are carrying a menorah which was coming directly from the temple, being brought into Rome, demonstrating the victory that Titus had over the city of Jerusalem and over the Jewish people. 
Also, the people that are in those lines, some of them, their arms are missing thanks to the ravages of time, but at one point they would have been chained. They were slaves, people who were captured, being led into the city by the conquering general. A description of what this Roman triumph looks like would have been something like this. On the day of his triumph, the general wore a crown of laurel and an all-purple gold-embroidered triumphal toga that identified him as near-divine or near-kingly. In some accounts, his face was painted red, perhaps in the imitation of Rome's highest and most powerful god. The general rode in on a four-horse chariot through the streets of Rome in unarmed procession with his army, captives and the spoils of his war behind them. At the temple on the Capitoline Hill, he would offer sacrifice and the tokens of his victory to the god Jupiter. The Roman general would lead this procession through the city of Rome, ending at the temple to worship the god of Rome, and he would offer sacrifices and the spoils of his war, and the spoils of his war were often people who he had captured. To be led as a prisoner and as a captive in one of these triumphal processions signaled one's utter defeat and often would end in your death. This is what Paul has in mind when he says he's being led in a triumphal procession of Christ. This is the analogy that he sees. But obviously Christ doesn't lead us as slaves to then sacrifice us on some altar at the end of it, thanks be to God. What does Christ's triumph look like? What triumphal procession is Paul being led in? When does it start? Well, we got a vision of that not too long ago when we celebrated Palm Sunday, right? The parade, the procession, the palm branches, the people shouting Hosanna, following Jesus into the city of Jerusalem, acclaiming him as the king. Did his triumphal procession stop there? No, it continued on Good Friday. When Jesus, wearing a crown, crown of thorns, adorned in a purple robe, was paraded with the cross through the city of Jerusalem to the hill of Calvary where he was crucified, lifted up, exalted, you might say, with thieves on his right and left. And one of the centurions, moved by God, said, Behold, this is the Son of God. But it didn't end there. It didn't end in death. We know. We just passed through Easter, right? On Resurrection Sunday, Jesus comes back from the dead, taking the captives with him, the Apostles' Creed says, that he's brought from the pit of death. Wherever we go, whatever we do as a church, we are following Christ through this story. Like Paul says, he's being led around by Christ regardless of where he is. And Paul knows that even amidst suffering and trials and persecution, when life is hard, he's following Jesus. Because life was hard for Jesus, and it ultimately ended in his death. But Paul knows that that's not the end of the story, because when Jesus was resurrected, he was proven to be the true king. And that that's the one that we need 
to follow. Paul doesn't have in mind that he's like an army following Jesus, armed to fight for Jesus, like being a part of Jesus' army. Paul says he is a captive to Jesus because Christ has redeemed him from being a slave to death and destruction and sin. We didn't go fight with Christ. No, Christ was abandoned by all of his disciples. We did not take up arms for him. He told Peter to put his sword away. We were not enlisted to fight with Jesus in his army. Christ has already won. We are joining him in his triumphal victory procession wherever we go. He's already been declared the victor. This, what we are doing today, is part of the parade. We are redeemed. Yes, we are freed from slavery to death. We are not free to live life as we want. We follow Christ wherever he leads. And for Paul, and for many of us, that may mean following Christ through pain and suffering. But the more that we follow Christ, the more that we join in this procession, the more that we are a part of this parade, the more that we start to be identified with Christ. Because we're a part of where Christ is leading. We take on this aroma of Christ, Paul says in these verses. We start to smell like Christ. Is there a smell that takes you back somewhere? As soon as you smell it, you go back to some childhood memory or to some experience that you can never forget. For some people, I know that might be the smell of baking bread. I have this weird thing with tomato plants. If you ever cracked a tomato vine, it's got a very distinct smell. And that smell takes me right back to when my mom and dad would plant tomatoes in their garden. Or maybe like you, it's this commercial from a few years back. Though the morning is bright, it still feels like a last night. But the soldiers all the proof that a rope pulls me through. Like a friendly voice from back home calling me. Are you, I hope you're applauding Randy Travis, because that's not me. Yes, that's two coffee references in one sermon. I don't know if you caught the words of that. Some of the words he says, that aroma pulls me through. Like a friendly voice from back home calling you. That rich aroma, the road is long, but now it feels like home. The power of a smell and an aroma is so interesting. You go downtown when Caroline's is roasting coffee, you know it. You can't escape it. Smells stick with us. And Paul brings up this idea of an aroma of Christ, the knowledge of Christ, that wherever we go, we spread that aroma with us. 
If you go back into the Bible, this idea of a pleasing aroma to God is all through the scriptures. Back in Genesis chapter 8, after Moses gets off the ark, he sacrifices to God. And it says, the Lord smelled the pleasing scent. And the Lord thought to himself, I will not curse the fertile ground anymore because of human beings. Since the ideas of the human mind are evil from youth, I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. God smells the sacrifice and it says that that was a pleasing aroma to him. Paul will write in his letter to the Ephesians, he says, Live your life with love, following the example of Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. He was a sacrificial offering that smelled sweet to God. When we follow Christ, we begin to be identified with Christ. When we start to smell of Christ so that wherever we go, it's unmistakable as to whose we are. And we're living lives not on our own. It's almost like we're living our lives like a sacrifice, which Paul says in Romans 12.1, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. Aromas and smells are also recognizable. Like I said, instantly when we smell something, our mind is triggered that we know what it is. We know where it's come from. There's a story in the Old Testament where Jacob is trying to fool his father Isaac out of his brother Esau's blessing. And working with his mom, Rebekah, he, he puts on some clothes of Esau and Rebekah kills a goat and Rebekah takes the goat skins and puts it on Jacob so that he smells like Esau who is a hunter and would be out in the field. And he goes and serves his father Jacob or serves his father Isaac wearing all this stuff smelling like goat. And Isaac and it says that Isaac says see the scent of my son is like the scent of the field that the Lord has blessed. The scent triggers Isaac to remember the field because that's what's connected with Esau. And even during that Roman triumph, it's thought that they would burn incense ahead of and around the parade so that it would flow through the streets. So that even if you weren't around the parade, you would smell it. You'd be like, oh, the emperor's in town, or this general's doing this thing. Like, I, I know what's going on. You would recognize who was in charge just from that smell. One of the Early church fathers, Ambrosiaster, writes this. He says, Some things are recognized by their smell, even though they are invisible. God, who is invisible, wishes to be understood through Christ. The preaching of Christ reaches our ears just as an aroma reaches our nostrils, bringing God and His only begotten Son right into the midst of His creation. As a church, as captives to Christ, an aroma, we need to be filled with this aroma that people would instantly recognize. That we get to bring that aroma of the Son of God right into the midst of creation, like Ambrosiaster says. It should not only just affect us. Our interactions with Christ should not just affect us. But through us, we affect the world by bringing Christ into the creation wherever we are. But Paul identifies this isn't always good news for everybody. He says, to some, this is the smell of life. But to others, this is the smell of death. 
Do you have smells that like you enjoy but other people like are offended by? I love going down to San Francisco and being at Fisherman's Wharf. And the smell of like that, that fishy fisherman like ocean smell, Sue Bauman shaking her head. Mm-mm. I love it. But other people are like that. Oh, that's disgusting. I can't handle it. Who would see the aroma of Christ as the aroma of death? What would strike people that way? Obviously, those who resist the message and the call of Christ. It doesn't make any sense. Why would they do that? Those who might be at threat of the full judgment of God because they haven't decided to follow Christ, because they've actively resisted and stood back and said, I don't want to be a part of that. But the threat of the full judgment of God looms over their head. One of my professors in seminary came from the Eastern Orthodox tradition, and she said a lot, of time, a lot of people in the Eastern Orthodox believe that heaven and hell is the exact same location. The difference is what your experience of God is. If you experience God as love in Christ, you're redeemed. Man, that's a beautiful place to be. But if your experience of God is not in Christ, and it's of judgment, and it's of, I don't want to be here. I didn't want to be here. Why did, why did they bring me here? That's painful. That's death. And a lot of times people will look at the cross and only see failure. I got to portray Judas up here during Monday Thursday, and I can never wear that plaid shirt again. But that's what Judas is experiencing. He thought things would go very differently than when he saw Christ on the cross. That was death, and he committed suicide because he couldn't see the alternative. Who would see then the aroma of Christ as life? Those who are following Christ, those who know that this is the better thing to be captive to than the world and to this life that will ultimately lead to death. Being a captive of Christ means being redeemed from the powers of sin and death in this world. And we know that whenever we're around Christians and when we smell the aroma of Christ together, it's like being back home. This life. It's like Peter. Yeah, he ran away, but when he saw Jesus resurrected on the shore from the boat, what did he do? He dove out and swam because he knew there was no better option. And then on the shore, he experienced full reconciliation with Jesus as Jesus repeated three times, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. So we're captives to Christ. We follow Christ. We identify with Christ. And then the other thing that we get to do is we get to speak of Christ with sincerity. Paul finishes the reading today by saying, Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those being sent from God. Because we have been so affected, captivated, and moved by the gospel and the work of Christ, we should have no other desire but then to talk about it wherever we go. And with complete sincerity. Not trying to cover over it or or change things. Like me talking 
about coffee. I want to, I'm excited about it when I share about it with other people. I talk about it truthfully and what my experience of it is. When we talk about things with sincerity, we, we don't hide things. We don't cover up things, but we speak truthfully. We preach the whole Word of God, beginning to end. We share what Christ has done for us. How has Christ changed my life? We don't preach or share the Word of God and then tack on other things. In the ancient world, the word for this was There was a group called the Gnostics, and they would say, yeah, yeah, there's this stuff, but if you knew these other things, you would really know the Word of God. That's not what we preach when we preach with sincerity. Or we don't preach the Word of God that's incomplete, where we favor some stories of the other or hold some things higher, but we say this is the whole Word, and this is what we share. Or it's not some kind of bait-and-switch scheme I don't know if this, uh, this sounds going to be triggering for some of you. The sound didn't come, that's okay. Have you ever got one of those, picked it up and been like, hey, I'm calling you about your car warranty? I've been trying to reach you concerning your car's extended warranty. Ugh. You know it's not about the warranty something else that's a scam we hate it because we know it's a scam they don't really care about us and our cars sometimes we preach the word of god is preached as grace 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 but the deeper you go you realize it's judgment 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 it's not bait and switch We're not riding in a bandwagon saying that we believe in something just to fit in. We have been changed, moved, altered by this good news that God has given us. And we have no other option but to speak about it with sincerity. I can say with almost complete sincerity, because I don't know all of the story, but more than likely, I would not be standing here before you being able to share God's word if it wasn't without him working in the lives of my mom, my dad, the people around me, working on me to get me to this point. I would not be here without Jesus. You can ask me more about it later. I would not be here because Jesus hasn't, because he's changed me, he's captivated me, he's captivated me with his word that I just want to share with people. So the question today ultimately is, who are you captive to? Or what are you captive to? Sure, we can love coffee, but if it's just coffee alone, that's probably too much. Whose parade are you participating in? Are you participating in the parades of power and the worldly wisdom that we know ultimately leads to death? Or are you participating in the parade and the triumphal procession of Christ, who though to many seems absurd, but for those who know, for those who've smelled the change, know that that leads to life. So hopefully today you've seen that as we as a church, as a church alive, as we are captives to Christ, that we follow Christ, we identify 
with Christ. And that ultimately we speak of Christ with all sincerity. Amen. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Turning back, no turning back.